This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 442. And the quote of the day is, if you want to be the best, learn from the best. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's happening? Nick Ruffini here, and how are you? You good? I hope so. I hope you're doing well. And thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And if you're just tuning in for maybe the first time or you're just getting into into the podcast, let me know. Introduce yourself. Shoot me an email. Reach out on Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff. Just would love to love to connect with you. Uh, I'm going to get right into this. This is a conversation that I had a while back with Jim Riley from Rascal Flats. This is a masterclass that we did a, a long time ago. Uh, it's a masterclass and a Q&A, so there's some really good questions in here as well. And the content is really good, and I figured why just keep it for a select few. This was originally on Drummer's Resource Pro a few years ago, uh, which we're not doing anymore, but the, the information is super valuable. And I've released a couple of these before, a couple of the old masterclasses that we've done. So this is one, again, with Jim Riley from Rascal Flats. And it's part masterclass, part Q&A session. So some great, great information in here. And he answers a lot of questions that probably you have yourself. So uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it with Jim Ryan. First of all, welcome to Drummer's Resource Pro. This is a, a Q&A seminar that we're doing with Jim Riley from Rascal Flats. And we do these every other week. Some of you are already members of Drummer's Resource Pro. So if you are, you can watch this replay and you'll also be able to watch all the other replays of the ones that we did prior. Uh, so we've done seminars and Q&As with Brian Frazier-Moore and Calvin Rogers and Paul Wertico and Rich Redman and now Jim Riley and there's other ones planned in the future. So if you're not a member, I urge you to sign up at drummersresourcepro.com. I'll tell you a little bit about that later on, but let's get into it with Jim. Uh, first of all, Jim, thanks so much for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. I always uh, uh, enjoy talking drums and talking shop with you. I know we got to catch up a little bit at the NAMM show, and I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Yeah, man, me too. And it's and it's a, an exciting time for you uh, for numerous reasons. One, you're you're on the road with Rascal Flatts. You're the music director for Rascal Flatts. You're actually at the gig now, right? You're at, at the club. Right? I am. I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm actually in my really glorious uh, dressing room <laughs> <laughs> uh, backstage at, at the at the joint. Uh, in the hard rock because I had really good internet here and not really good internet in my hotel room. So uh, I, I was, I will say I was originally going to do this from the stage of the joint, but the uh, hard rock is actually using it for another event right now. So uh, I was foiled. So I decided to go here because there was a uh, pretty good light. There's actually a cooler dressing room across the street, across the hallway, but it's very dark and uh, so I thought this you want to do it there. Better. I got you. Yeah, I appreciate it, and I know the uh, the listeners do because it's you know being on the road is is a uh, it's it's a time suck and it's a bit it it can be a bit of a uh, uh, a hectic schedule and things like that. So I, as well as the listeners, I'm sure appreciate you uh, doing this for all of us. So the the main thing that that we said we were going to talk about is you have your um, your your new book that is out that is designed to, from what you told me, to help people navigate any musical situation that, that you would come across on a gig. And it's called The Survival Guide for the Modern Drummer. I actually have it right here. So there's the book if you guys are, uh, if you guys are looking to grab it. But the reason why I wanted to bring you on and talk was, one, talk about how important it is to know different styles and how well that has served you in your career. Well, for me, it, it has been, uh, it has been one of the real keys to my career. Um, often in interviews, one of the things that, that comes up is, you know, we start talking about some of the keys to success. And, um, I, I recently did something, uh, for modern drummer where it led me down a, a similar path and um, actually, you know what it was? I, we're, we're, 
they're doing a uh, they're doing a feature on the book, and we were talking about the differences between someone like myself uh, and Brian Fraser Moore and Rich Redman, who are drummers for hire, versus say uh, a guy that plays in a specific band. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and the biggest difference is we don't have any control over um, the calls that we're going to get as musicians. So, um, well, you know, the biggest job in my career right now is playing with Rascal Flats. But even that gig, like, you know, for example, we're in Vegas right now. We're doing a very electronic dance music version of Rascal Flats here at the joint. So all of a sudden, you know, my focus goes from a little bit more country to a little bit more dance. And, um, and that's just on the gig, my main gig. Um, and, and for those drummers who aren't perhaps lucky enough to have this, you know, this one gig that, that really would conceivably pay all the bills, um, we're, we're all constantly waiting for that next call. And we don't know whether it's going to come from someone who wants us to play country or someone who wants us to play rock or someone who wants us to play jazz or metal or blues. And so rather than putting yourself in a situation where you are um, like, well, you know, I don't really play that kind of music. or I'm not comfortable playing in that genre or I don't like that genre of music. You're really just limiting your own abilities to, uh, to, to make a living. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's been hugely important to embrace as many different musical styles as I can, get as familiar with them as possible. And over my career, I've spent time, you know, you know, playing as a metal drummer, playing as a country drummer, playing as a rock drummer, playing as a pop drummer, playing in wedding bands, playing in jazz bands. Um, and all of this just makes me more marketable. And, um, and so that was a concept that I wanted to share in the book. Basically, what I wanted to do is, uh, as a teacher, which I do a lot of teaching, I found myself leaning towards you know, teaching certain styles. And, and I was kind of desiring to have all of that stuff in one spot. So five years ago, I started working on the book. Uh, it's my second book. Um, you know, since then I, I went from having, you know, a baby kid to having three kids and being really busy. And so the process took a long time, but, um, three years into the book, I was like, cool. Um, all I got to do is work on the music and in six months I'll be done. And that was completely not right. (laughs) Um, so two and a half years later, uh, I was finally done with the book, and it's because all the music that I recorded, I, I don't know how to make fake music. I only know how to make real music. So um, there's no uh, vamps. I mean, these right. if it, no matter what kind of music sure. it is, it's all real music, fully produced. And um, that way it helps players that if they go, you know, I'm new to metal. Well, this really immerses them in the metal style, or I'm new to jazz. I got great jazz players to play the jazz stuff, or I want to learn some Latin or world styles. I got guys that really work in that genre to to help me record this stuff so that, you know, as people are learning it and they're open to it, that they get immersed in the style. And I thought that was important. Mm -hmm. I I totally agree. And you were telling me when, when we were at NAMM that, you know, that one that it took you a lot longer to record the music but but you know i like how you got jazz guys to play the jazz stuff you got rock guys to play the rock stuff rather than just saying well i'm just gonna hire a bunch of guys that can sort of kind of play this kind of stuff and they'll you know fudge their way through it sort of thing yeah that was really important to me um i I had uh, you know, again, as a teacher, I had used some resources that that were recorded that way, and some of the music would be outstanding, and some of it would be okay, and some of it would be acceptable, and some of it would be awful. And um, so I, I, I vowed to kind of go, you know, I want to try to to learn, you know, like 
as I think about like my book is just an evolution in these types of books. And so I give credit to the people that did these types of books before me. Um, and, and I wanted to, to try to continually up the bar as they did when they wrote their books. And one of the things I, I really felt strongly about was making sure that the musicians were genuine and genre specific so that, you know, when drummers are playing along with this stuff, they feel like, wow, this is, this is a little bit of what it's like to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which makes complete sense. So I want to talk a little bit about styles as a whole, because learning new styles sometimes tends to be this weird gray area where people don't really know how to do it sort of thing. Um, And aside from the obvious of going to grab your book and, and, you know, and studying out of it, what do you think is the best way to, to really learn these styles and to learn the key elements? Because I, 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 I agree that everyone needs to know the key elements of the tune or the, the type of music when they're learning it. Right. So you can't just go listen to one rock record and say, okay, now I know how to play rock. Um, so what is your suggestion for people when learning new styles? Uh, is it like a three-phase thing that you do? Is it a, a totally immersive thing that you do? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, like the, the, the first thing is that I, I wanted my book to be a gateway to those things. Um, I, I, when I saw... Um, the, the famous jazz drummer, John Riley, not to be confused with Jim Riley. I was talking uh, about you great... the other day for about five minutes. And then I was like, man, I don't think this dude, I don't think we're talking about this. And I was like, are you talking about Jim Riley or are you talking about John Riley? And they were like, oh, I was talking about John Riley. And I was yeah. talking about Jim Riley. They were talking about John Riley. I was talking to Daniel Glass about it. It was pretty funny. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, um <clears throat> And of course, you and I and Daniel Glass were hanging out at uh, at Nam. Yeah, good times. But um, so when I was talking to John, uh, and John and I have actually done several events together. We've done two Pasics together. We did the last Modern Drummer Festival in like 2010 or 11 or 12 or whenever that was. Um, and uh, he's a really dry character yeah and he said oh great he says i heard about your book he says now everybody only needs one book to study out of and i said no i said that's really that's not why i wrote the book um why i wrote the book and i even say it at the end of my jazz chapter is i i mean this to be a beginning and to help inspire people um to learn more and if somebody gets into my book and really like goes man i I think I have a passion for jazz, then they're going to study further and, and listen further. So, I mean, I think, you know, one interesting thing is to, you know, <clears throat> to pick up the book and because what I tried to do at the onset of each genre and each stylistic thing is to kind of break it down to some of the easiest elements and then give them some musical templates to play along with. Um, and so I think that the book is a good start for that. But of course, the number one thing that you have to do when you're learning new styles is you have to listen. You have to actually listen to those styles. Now, playing along with the styles in this book is going to be super helpful. But in this day and age of digital music and the fact that we, for really a very small amount of money, can get our hold, can get our hands on almost everything that's ever been recorded, you know, it's, it's a really exciting time. And, uh, you know, you can always look at it, uh, you know, half full, half empty, you know, I mean, I've heard Ed Stove talk about this and I know you've talked to Ed before. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he was lamenting the fact that people don't listen to to albums anymore. And I agree with that. They don't. the art of an album is kind of lost. It's become less, more of a single generation. Um, but, you know, there, there are some upsides because people can listen and research between 
uh, things like Apple Music and YouTube and Pandora, you know, you can listen and research to just such a variety of music that you can really start to listen to and appreciate multiple genres of music. And it's a great opportunity to be able to do that. And it's literally right at our fingertips, the mm-hmm. same ones we're using to attend this webinar right now. Right. So uh, I, I think it's very exciting. The thing that amazes me is the trajectory of how quickly players are getting good now versus years ago. Because, you know, pre-YouTube, if you, you know, if you, you couldn't, you couldn't find Calypso music, you know, straight ahead jazz, funk, rock, and hip hop in, and watch drummers play it in with, you know, with the, with the snap of your finger. And now you can, so you can learn all of these things. I think the learning curve, not that I'm saying it, it doesn't take as much time to, to practice the stuff, but it's a lot easier to get all the information. So, I, you know, for me, half of my, my drumming career or half of the time I spent at drumming, I should say, was collecting information. And then the other half was shedding. But now you could just, you collecting is the easy part that cuts your time. Well, at- collect. It can be it can be easy, but as you know, it's a double edged sword because there's so much information out there. Right. But there's also a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad out information out there. <laughs> you know. So um, I, I think that you know, a, a, as a young player or as an aspiring player, as obviously all of us are, if we're here today doing this. Uh, that it, this is really just symbolic of the fact that we all want to get better. Right. Um, <clears throat> But as you're doing that, I think, you know, you have to you have to keep an eye on on what you're listening to and and who you're trusting in terms of uh, giving you that information. Uh, I mean, granted, there are things you can learn from bad videos as much as some good videos. But um, I think you have to be really uh, conscious of, of where you're getting the information and make sure you're getting the right information. Uh, to help you become a better player. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with this book, I actually did, um, I, I continue to do several videos uh, and put them on YouTube as a free resource. If people wanted to go to it, it's just it, it, www.survivalguidevideos.com. Okay. But all that really does is take you to my YouTube page and shows you the videos that I've been doing for the book. Well, I've recorded, you know, I don't know, nine or ten but I think I've got probably another 10 up there from other people, whether it be customers that have bought the book and um, like my buddy, Rich Redman, as a matter of fact, I just posted a video of Rich on yep. Facebook today. Uh, and uh, it was on the, the kind of the modern, modern rock country groove that I, you know, the tune that I'd written for my book. Honestly, when I wrote it, I wrote it with Rich in mind, like, Rich and Jason Aldean is what I was thinking about when I wrote the tune. So when Rich said, hey, man, I love the book, he says, I'm thinking about, you know, recording some tunes from your book. I said, yeah, record anything, but you have to record this one for me. Right. And uh, so he said, "Okay, I'll do it. And of course, you know, he killed it because, I mean, you know, that's kind of that's kind of his thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what what he does with Jason. But, you know, so I, I definitely embrace trying to be a resource uh, but I don't know that YouTube is the only great resource that people should be using. I, I still feel very passionately about the fact that having a private teacher that you trust uh, to help be your Sherpa, your guide, you know, to help physically put the stick in your hand, work on your fundamental technique, and can really that one-on-one touch is, uh, is something that I think is uh, – is still very valid. And, uh, you know, so, so I think that, that, you know, the digital resources we have, um, like your podcast and your, and your pro side and YouTube are all an extension, but I still feel like, um, having a, having a teacher is all yeah. so, uh, a fantastic resource. I, I agree with that 100%. Like you said, you know, it's, Sometimes you need somebody to grab your hand and move the stick, or sometimes you need just that one-on-one interaction. Or most of the time, you need that one-on-one interaction. So even the online lesson sites, um, you know, like I just talked to Mike Johnson the other day, and his thing is, 
you know, I want to make my lessons cheap enough that you can still afford to go and get private instruction too. This is more of a, of a supplementary thing. Well, Mike is an innovator, man. And uh, I met Mike several years ago and uh, he does a fantastic thing. I mean, he does something that I don't aspire to. Mm -hmm. He's got his own thing and I couldn't be happier and more supportive of what he does. Um, you know, people have asked me, oh, you know, would you ever do anything like Mike does? I'm like, no, you know, I'm not going to do what Mike does and I'm not going to do what Rich does. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like Rich has joked with me after the first drummer weekend he sees that he had me at. Um, he said, uh, he said, man, he says, next year you're going to be doing your own drummer weekend. I said, man, I said, no, I'm not going to be. I said, but even if I did, it would be nothing like what you do because his approach and Mike's approach are just much different sure. than mine. Although mm -hmm. Mike and I definitely agree that trying to make it inexpensive um, is a really quality endeavor. And I, and I have a lot of people that have studied with me that also study with Mike and have also studied with rich. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that it's just different ways to learn and it's, it's, it's great resources that are out there. Sure. Sure. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, about running into, into different musical styles and, and some instances where maybe you were, were caught off guard or maybe an instance where you were super prepared and, and it paid off really, really well. The fact that you, that you did have these styles under your belt. I think the number one uh, situation I can point to is the one I'm in right now, which is uh, playing with Rascal Flatts. Uh, you know, it, it would be perfectly acceptable for someone to say, you know, you were really lucky getting involved with Rascal Flatts when you did. I could say no and yes. Um, I put myself in the right situation around the right people that I I liked, but granted, was there a little bit of luck? Sure. I'll give you that there's a little bit of luck involved in that. Um, but there's zero luck in keeping a gig, right? Mm -hmm. So getting a gig sometimes, just circumstances, there's a little bit of luck there. I think we can all accept that. Uh, keeping a gig, there's no luck. It's all skill. And um, over the, you know, I mean, this is my 17th, season that I'm starting with Rascal Flats. So over the years, um, you know, my ability to play um, swing, shuffles, rock, um, world styles, uh, dance, country, uh, it, it, it's all come into play. Uh, you know, because they're kind of keeping this mental checklist, you know, they ask you that, you know, to, to play on, on a, on a thing that swings and you can't swing. And all of a sudden, ah, there's that thing he can't do. And then the clock's kind of ticking on, maybe we should have a person that can do all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, over 17 years, 16 plus years, um, there has been many situations there was uh, several years ago that came to me saying, we want to do a drum solo. We want you to help us to start the show with this drum solo. I said, cool. And so what's the, what song are we going into? And they said, why wait? I went, why wait? Okay. Why wait is shuffle. So, and I'm like, what could be the most ungroovy thing to be doing a drum solo over? but a country shuffle, the first and only country shuffle that Rascal Flatts has ever recorded. Right. And I'm like, I have to come up with a drum solo. That's a showstopper from the very beginning that goes into that. I said, that's going to be a challenge. Well, what I did was I realized that any shuffle is just a very fast 12, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And what I did instead was I went to Nanigo. And all of a sudden, now I've got something really hip to draw from. And so what I did was I did this kind of 12-8 African Ningo thing with the guys. 
Um, I worked with them, uh, figured out what they were very good at, and uh, I, I played to their strengths and wrote a piece for those guys, which, by the way, now I'm writing music. Uh, I'm writing out music uh, in a style that's not indigenous to the one that I was originally hired for. And this is part of not only being the drummer, but in my case, and being the musical director. Uh, it's just my responsibility just to be able to do this like magic. It's like this is what I have to be able to do. Mm -hmm. So um, just looking at the time. Uh, so. Yeah, this gig has been the my my hallmark example for that kind of thing. And you know, a lot of times, what you realize with a gig like what I do with Rascal Flats is it's all about playing solid time and playing simple time. But if they ask me to play a drum solo, now it's my job to be able to play drums in a soloistic situation right. and. It's now my job to be able to entertain 10,000 people for three minutes all by myself. And if I can't do that again, uh, you know, I'm kind of falling down on the job and maybe they're thinking maybe we should get someone who can. And as a matter of fact, this year, what we're doing here in Vegas is uh, I've got a, another young guy playing with me. Uh, he's young. I'm not as young as he is. Uh, he could be my son uh, named Casey Brown. Um, and he's a drummer, but he's also an electronic dance mix, like kind of, uh, you know, computer whiz mm. who has he's re-engineered some of these Rascal Flats tunes to be more like dance tunes. But in the middle of the show, we're doing a double drum solo together. So I wrote the drum content. I had him do the electronics dance music stuff over the top of it. And uh, that's our job. We have to play a double drum solo. Nice. So, so there you go. Awesome, man. Awesome. So let's uh, let's open it up a little bit for some questions because I know there's some. I'm gonna I'm gonna go grab a coke real quick. I'm gonna come right back. Okay. So just to let you guys know, in the right hand side uh, where it says questions, you can type in any questions that you want, and they'll be sent to Jim. And I know he's not. I don't want to say he's pressed for time, but we have about another. Well, we got another 35 minutes or so, so we'll be good. Um. So let's. Uh, so can I see those written somewhere, Nick? I'm going to read or them. Will you be re You're going to read them off. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, so the first one is from Michael Scott, and he said, when you were learning different styles of music, which styles did you personally find the most challenging to master, and how did you overcome these obstacles? Uh, you know, it's been really interesting, just even in the in the course of doing the book, Um, there are styles that I'm great at. There are styles that I'm good at and there's styles that I'm still trying to get better at. And I'm literally using the book just like anybody else would right now, not only as a teacher, but as a student, cause I'm, I'm going, okay. Um, you know, I find this, this Mambo track, uh, is a little tough for me. I've played it, but it's like, like if you ask me, hey, play that Mambo track live, I'm like, I'm like I don't know if it's ready. Uh -huh. It's ready for me to play out live. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I, I don't I don't sit here and go, you know, I play these grooves the best of anybody in the world. You know, it's like I, I feel like I, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that um, this is the stuff that I feel like you need to know to be um to be able to be a working drummer. Now, <clears throat> to answer your question, <clears throat> you know, I don't know if there was a particular style that really gave me a hard time. I, I, I was very lucky in the sense that I came up with jazz early. Um, I was exposed to it very young and I had great influences that were kind of pointing me the way in the right way. I had a great band director in high school who was a fantastic jazz musician. So I was playing in a really legitimate jazz group at that time. Um, the world styles I, I learned more of when I was at North Texas. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think, I guess I found them challenging, but it was, a, it was more about like just practicing and then listening to, listening to the music and really trying to, to catch a feel for it. I mean, 
I've got a, a I've got a video that I'm going to be releasing a little later this week of me playing uh, a New Orleans second line, and you know for me that's it's all about feel. It's all about feel. I have a particular uh, pattern that I'm I'm showing them in the book, but um, mastering the feel that uh, that those guys do where sometimes. They're swinging, sometimes they're straight, sometimes they're right in between. Uh, That's certainly challenging. Um, A lot of great jazz musicians, great jazz musicians, will tell you that the hardest thing to master is just the the interpretation of the ride symbol. And for them, that it is a lifelong endeavor. And I, I definitely agree with them. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so the next question is from Brian. It says, does your book have any guidance on becoming a Christian rock drummer? If not, do you have any experience with this genre that you would consider helpful and willing to share? <laughs> More people has played on Sunday morning than Saturday night. Um, so, yeah. So, so give me the beginning of that. Uh, it was a little garbled uh, at just the beginning of what you were saying. So just repeat some of that question. Okay. He, he, uh, he asked, does your book give any guidance on becoming a Christian rock drummer? And if not, do you have any experience with this genre you would consider helpful yeah. going to share? I do. I have, I have considerable experience with that genre. Um, I actually played uh, in a Christian rock band in 1990. Let's see. Uh, from about 93 to 96, I was spending a lot of time in that genre. And, um, you know, I think as a drummer, uh, I don't think you have to think of it any differently. I think it's really more about how the, the, the music, like from a lyrical perspective is different, but, um, from a, uh, from a musical perspective, it's very much the same. It's really, it's, it's just all about the lyrical content being different. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, there's a great guy. I actually did a a fantastic album with a guy named Jeff Sheets, uh, S C H E E T Z. Um, and it's called pawn shop. And he is a, uh, a Christian rock guitar player. I, I, I did an album, a band album with him that was okay. And then I played on some of his solo records, that one of which is my favorite. And it it was done quite a while back and it actually still holds up, but no, I I don't, I don't see any, any real difference between uh, your preparation of being a Christian rock drummer or being a rock drummer. The only thing I would say is uh, I, I think that you can uphold your Christian faith and play outside of the genre as well. Um, you know, you can be, you can be a really good example to other people, whether you're playing in that genre and and not. And that being said, don't limit yourself and label yourself as simply a Christian rock drummer. Be willing to play all styles and to play in all venues as well, because, uh, there's nothing wrong with that in my opinion. So funny story, I just had a phone call with the fine folks over at Mapex, and then they put me on mute on the call. Why? Because they're coming out with some revolutionary stuff, and they didn't even want me to know about it yet. And you've probably seen some of this stuff on Instagram where they talk about a breakthrough in resonance or a breakthrough in sound isolation, but here's what I got out of them. I know that there's going to be six or seven revolutionary ideas when it comes to drum building that they're releasing with these products in the fall. It's a new concept for drum building and a revolution in sound production. You can follow along the whole conversation about what the heck is going on over there at Mapex by following the hashtag built from the sound up on Instagram or just visit their Instagram page and you'll see what I'm talking about, about their secret cryptic messages. But do that and keep an eye out in the fall because I get something really amazing coming out. I just don't know what it is yet.
Hey, for all you hard hitters out there, if you're looking for a drumstick that is going to feel like a hickory drumstick, but it's going to last a lot longer, then you should check out Promark's new Fire Green drumsticks. They use a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. They keep their original weight, balance, and feel, so these sticks allow drummers to hit harder and play longer naturally. So there's no excess vibration, there's no space-age gimmicks or anything like that, it's just natural hickory hardened by flame and they are available in forward balance select balance and classic in a wide variety of sizes you can check them out by going to promark.com now let's get back into it with jim riley all right. Next question is from uh, is from Alex, and Alex said, "Hello, what is hey, it? Alex? It says, what does it take to get to your level of playing, and how and how do you get that gig, meaning the professional gigs? Thanks, Alan, Alex from San Antonio, Texas. What was the first part of that question? He said, what, is it, what does it take to get to, to your level of playing? What does it take to get to this level? Yeah. Um, I think the thing that has helped me the most, um, aside from the obvious things, which are I had a lot of ability. Um, I had a real passion and a focus to practice, to listen to music and become better. Um, but I think there's a lot of people that have those things. And I think the things that separate me from um, some of those other people that are, are on a, a level that would desire to be, say, where I'm at is clarity. It's um, I have a real uh, uncommon clarity for what my role is as a drummer. Uh, part of the artistry of being a, uh, a drummer is just the choices that we make. Uh, and a lot of times when you listen to a song as a kid, I would listen to Billy Joel records and I'd go, Man, Liberty DeVito just missed a really great opportunity to play a really cool fill right there, you know. But what I realized later is that he didn't miss any opportunity. He took the opportunity to keep grooving and to serve the song. And that's the thing that, you know, when you listen to, to guys speak, uh, particularly people that are in Nashville, which is a songwriter-driven town, mm -hmm. it's really the clarity to know um, – what to play and what not to play. And that's something that I definitely tried to cover in the book. Um, was, was not only just the grooves, but uh, talking about, um, about the actual music you're playing, understanding the form of a song, understanding that a pop song has an intro and a verse, what a pre-chorus is, what a, uh, you know, what a turnaround is, what, what a bridge is, how it functions, in the song, the more you know about music, uh, the more that you can make informed decisions about uh, what you do with the music. And everything you play says something about you as an artist. And if everything you play is just a bunch of stuff that doesn't serve the song, then that's what you're saying about yourself as a player. So, um, I think that, that my clarity on that issue uh, has been uh, really important. And, the, and the, the second part of the question is, how do you get the big gig? Well, you do all the things that I've talked about, you know, the, the practicing and the preparation. Uh, and additionally, then I went to the right town for me, which was Nashville. And I, and I met people and I was patient and uh, I, I was trying to be as nice and accommodating and I was humble and uh, realized that it wasn't going to happen overnight. And I just networked and took every opportunity that I, that I could and uh, finally ended up meeting somebody on a 6 to 10 gig that paid $40 on an afternoon. Um, I met a bass player who got a big gig, and he kind of pulled me into that situation with him, and that was the beginning of the ride for me. Uh, and that was in 1998 after being in Nashville for a year in 97. And I was playing with this guy named Mark Chestnut, who's country singer, Texas 
country singer. I was also playing with Hank Williams III. And uh, during that time, I met Jay, Gary, and Joe Don. Uh, Joe Don and, and Jay were actually playing with the opening band on the Mark Chestnut Tour in 1999. So we got to know each other really well there, hanging out, uh, you know, hanging out on the weekends. And then during the week, we were calling each other for little $40 gigs. And when those guys got a record deal, uh, they asked me if I would come out and uh, and play with them. And, you know, it sounds like a really easy question, uh, really qu- question to answer, except um, I had a gig with an artist that had 13 number one hits already. Right. So why would I leave? The answer is because I had faith in these guys. I had a vision that these guys would be great. And I was willing to put my career uh, on the line with them. And so uh, it's turned out to be a great decision. Sometimes you have to make a bold choice. Uh, I'm not inspiring everyone to make a crazy choice, but for me, it was a, it was a bold choice that, that worked. So I moved to a town that had that, the kind of work that I wanted. And, uh, you know, I put the time in. And then I took the chances I had to, and, and those are some of the things that got me here. And you you struggled for a while, right, when you first got to town, right? I mean, when you say I struggled, you make it sound like a bad thing. I, I, I was having a great time. Yeah. You know, but I mean, I was just a, a guy in my late 20s that was just an idiot playing drums, man, you know. So I came to Nashville. I didn't have – I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't have a job. I had very few friends. So uh, I worked at a drum shop. Uh, I, I actually convinced them to let me stay at the drum shop. So they were actually locking me in the drum shop like Sling Blade. You know, there's an obscure movie reference for you, but it's absolutely accurate. I got it. Um, they were locking me in the shop, right? Um and then uh, when that place closed down, I was playing a lot of little local gigs. I, I was meeting people. I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave, but all of a sudden, I didn't have a job and I didn't have a place to stay. So, but I had gigs. So I was compelled to make a choice that other people would kind of think was a little nutty, which is I was living in my truck. So I was living in the back of my pickup truck. So talk about a country song. I was living in the back of my pickup truck with my dog and my drums playing gigs. <laughs> nice. And I did that for a couple of weeks until I got a call from a friend telling me he was going out of town and he asked me to watch his cat for two weeks. And that friend was Rich Redmond. Yep. And so Rich asked me to watch his cat. I moved in his place. <laughs> when he came back, I asked him how much his rent was. I gave him half of that in cash and I told him I was his new roommate. Nice. And we lived together for the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's as they say, uh, that's 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 the way that goes. That was the history of that. I like it. So I have there's two questions about the book that I'm going to tie together from Anthony and Dan. Uh, Dan said or Dan asked, will the survival guide be available in an ebook? And Anthony is asking if we could see and hear some of the book. Um, So let me I have the book here. Um, I don't know. We can't really listen to it. We don't have the, the audio cable. Well, here, here's what we can do. Here's what we can do. Um, so that is the book. Uh, it is also right here. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So by the way, by the way, this, that drum set on the cover is actually my 1967 Ludwig classic maple drum set. Uh, I took a picture of it, and they turned it into this artwork, which I thought was really cool. I like it. Although I do not have a super cool drum head like this. I'd <laughs> like to have one one day. Um, will it be available as a digital book? Um, yes, it will be. Um, I'm trying to convince Alfred, my worldwide distributor, that it would be a great idea to get that done soon. Um, I, I would love to see that happen. Um the second question is, can you hear some of the stuff? Yes, you can. I would go to, excuse me, I would go to the, the, the website that I gave you earlier, which is www.survivalguidevideos.com, or just go to YouTube and type in Jim Ryland. It's that easy. Go to my survival guide videos section, 
And there are 19 or 20 different tunes that you can um, hear. And uh, everything from like some serious metal stuff to uh, country stuff to uh, some fusion stuff, some world style stuff. And uh, yeah, I think you'll I think you'll get a lot out of that because you can really hear the the quality of the um, the recordings and also just the ability to um, to be able to to play these tunes. And uh, so if anybody like if anyone's interested in picking up the book um, uh, today, you can go to uh, www.jimreillymusic.com. And if you wanted to backslash score, or you could just go to the store, you know, if you just go to jimreillymusic.com, uh, that's my, that's my website. Uh, you can get uh, a signed copy of the book sent. Uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll send it out, you know, ASAP. So uh, yeah, if you want one, you can go to, you know, jimreillymusic.com and uh, pick up the book. Awesome. So the next question is from Paul. Uh, he, he asked, Paul, what's happening, buddy? I didn't realize that was you. Um, so it says, can you talk a little bit about your role as, as MD for Rascal Flats and how did you get appointed and a little bit about your responsibilities that you have? Yeah, well, that, that's a very interesting question. You know, when I was hired in 2000, I was the, actually the last person hired. So there was a fiddle player named Jimmy Mattingly, who is the, the longtime fiddle player for Garth Brooks, who's an amazing musician. He's still with Garth now. Uh, there was a keyboard player named Bo Cooper, um, who plays with, uh, <laughs> the um, there's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, who Bo Cooper now plays with, uh, David Foster, and, um, you know, who produces everybody and it's unbelievable. So, I mean, I was playing with these amazing musicians uh, right from the start with Rascal Flatts, but I was the last one hired and someone else was actually the musical director. So I did the gig, was enjoying it. We had a really great summer. And as we went to start the new year, I got a call from management and they said, hey, um, we don't want to make any changes in the band, but we want you to take over the duties as musical director. Cause we feel like the guys feel like you have a better uh, finger on the pulse of what they're looking for in terms of execution of the band. Um, I said, great. So um, I started there. I mean, uh, so some of the smaller duties, uh, you know, hiring the musicians, uh, letting musicians go sometimes, uh, but the, the bigger the bigger things are like we've used several different lineups of the band. You know, Jay, Gary, and Jodon. Jodon plays guitar. Jay plays bass. He also plays keys. We would have different guys in the band behind them that would do a variety of different things musically. So it was my responsibility to make sure that all of the pertinent parts were covered. If we were sometimes I'm writing an intro to a song or I'm writing an outro to a song or a new arrangement to a song. Uh, I've done everything from write, you know, the, um, like an overture to the show to doing choir arrangements to doing acapella arrangements for the band. That's a really fun one. You can look that one up on YouTube. You can see some acapella performances that we did two years ago where I arranged a Rascal Flatts tune and I arranged Pharrell's Happy nice. for uh, for seven-piece uh, acapella band. Uh, and it was it was fantastic. But if I can't do that stuff, then, you know, I'm not able to really do my job. Writing charts. Um, one thing that I always get questions about, because my first book is a book on the Nashville number system. Um, this is actually that book. This is actually tying um, in because Michael asked about about the about the book and um, looking for more effective ways to chart out songs. I'm just going to tell you right now, Mike. Just stop thinking about it and just go buy the book. I bought that book. And that thing is like ever since I learned that system. Forget it. It's like yeah, that, that this system will blow your mind in terms of like what the 
way that makes you think about music, it, it just really changes the way you think about it. Uh, it's a great charting system. Uh, we don't have time to really get into all of it about this, but um, I will say that uh, without looking like a pimp here, like I have a, a, uh, I have a thing for both of these books. I've got a special on my website for both of those books for less than you can get them on Amazon. Nice. So uh, like right now there's a, there's a special running on those. Uh, but the, yeah, the, as far as charting, I, I usually chart things out the way, the best way for a particular situation. So if I'm writing melodies out, I'm using standard notation. If I'm writing rhythm section stuff, if I'm writing like for the band, I'm writing a Nashville number system chart. What does a Nashville number system chart look like? Well, it's all based on do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. And you substitute that for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one. So that's what a, that's what a Nashville number system chart looks like. That's what our music looks like. But here's the thing. This chart can be read by the drummer, the bass player, the keyboard player, and guitar player. I can write one chart in five minutes, and I'm going to do that. We have a special guest coming uh, on our show with Rascal Flatts tomorrow. I can't even tell you who it is, but it's it's a world famous uh, R&B artist that's going to be performing with us. So I'm going to probably t- later today. I'm going to listen to three or four of his songs. I'm going to chart them out by the numbers, and I'm going to hand my guys charts, and they're going to be able to uh, they're going to be able to play it based on just looking at that chart. So and so, so it, it's an amazing system. It really is, man. It really is. So Jeff asked, uh, what things do you consider when determining tonal range for your kit when switching genres of music between gigs? Thanks from Memphis. So Jeff, yeah. Jeff from Memphis. Well, I, I, I've been pretty notorious about always changing up my setup. Um, as far as tonally, you know, um, I mean – if I'm playing a, a bop thing, obviously I may want to go to like coded ambassadors and smaller heads. I mean, smaller drums. And when I'm playing pop and rock type stuff, I'm kind of settled into this, you know, 24 inch kick drum, 13, 16 inch, uh, toms. Uh, I tend to tune a little deeper than some people do. I don't use any dampening almost in any situation unless I'm looking for a real, dampened type sound a real prepared sound uh in that case i might take you know some little doily towels or or take some paper and tape it to the drum and get a really different sound if we're kind of like trying to get some sort of vintage throwback sound but um you know ultimately i i have i have some sounds that i'm pretty comfortable with and you know going from you know kind of the pop and rock and country i have kind of a a thing I'm kind of settled into. And so I don't change that as much uh, as as, uh, maybe some people would. It's a good question though. I got you. So two more questions. Uh, One is from Gary who said, Gary, what's up buddy? Uh, He said, Hey Jim, is there a specific reason why you decided to move to Nashville after your time at North Texas over cities like LA or New York? And does the procedure of networking in the business stay the same, no matter what city you decide to be in, even if it's in a smaller market city? Yeah. Okay. So, so Nashville was a very, uh, a very deliberate choice for me. Uh, I, when I was at North Texas, great school and Dallas is a great city. Uh, it's got a great, uh, local music scene, tremendous local music scene, but I wanted to go someplace where I had the opportunity to play on the highest level. So, uh, I looked at my options. Being a, a kid from the Northeast, I mean, I thought about, you know, I grew up in in the Boston area. I, I thought about New York. You know, when you say New York, what you really mean is Manhattan. And Manhattan is just phenomenally expensive. And what I yes, also looked at is I looked at, what's that? I said, yes, it is. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, one thing that I looked at was my own skills. And what I realized is with the skills that I have, I would end up playing drums in a show on Broadway. That's just what I would end up doing. Cause I like that stuff. 
And that's what I would end up doing. So instead, I said, you know what? I don't like, I don't, I don't like where that's all headed. So I think I'm not going to do that. I looked at LA. It was very spread out. It's also very expensive. And it seemed like more people were migrating from LA to Nashville. Mm -hmm. Nashville, on the other hand, is very inexpensive to live in. It has a music scene you can literally look at and see, you know, almost through a glass case. Like, there it is. It's going on. It's right there. Um, you could really feel it, you know. And, um, and I guess the timing was also important. I was like, it was like, when I was going through this decision, it was like the early 90s. And if you remember the early 90s, the two things that were happening were like the grunge movement, which is all music I really like, but that I also acknowledge alienated a lot of average listeners. They, they you know, I mean, your average, you know, lady going to get the gro- going to get the groceries, you know, wasn't listening to Soundgarden, right? You know, so they started turning somewhere else because that was pop music back then, and so if you didn't like the pop music. What ended up happening was everybody started gravitating towards country. And that's when Garth Brooks was huge. And Alan Jackson and George Strait and Trisha Yearwood and Reba McIntyre and all these people were having these tremendously giant careers. Um, And then later, Shania Twain. But like it was a time where people were gravitating towards that music. So naturally, I listened. Mm -hmm. And as I listened, I went, holy cow. How like the musicianship on these albums is just crazy good. And I, and it just really made me think, you know, like I pride myself on being, you know, someone who aspires to be a great musician. This just seems like the right town for me to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I looked at what was happening in Nashville, which is where you had these great um session guys at the time like eddie bears and uh paul lime and uh you know those were the, those were some two of the bigger guys at that time period and but they were playing on all these records and then all these acts were kind of being born out into the world with no drummer right you know what i'm saying so i was thinking i could i could go to nashville and I could be like that guy that comes to town and ends up getting a road gig. And I want to, I want to travel and see the world and do that thing. I was single. I was like, put me on the road, man. I'll, I'll do it. Right. And so that was sort of my, my thought process. And that's how my, uh, that's how my career began. Nice. So I want to go over one thing uh, with everyone and then we're going to ask one more question and then we can wrap it up. So let me slide this over here real quick. All right, so you guys should be able to see my screen. I think you can, right? So this is a part of Drummer's Resource Pro. And so every other week we do a live master class with somebody like Jim or Calvin Rogers or, or you know, Brian Frazier-Moore or Rich Redmond. And we do this the same exact way. It's an open forum Q&A. We answer all the questions that you may have, go over a specific topic. And then you can also watch all of the replays on drummersresourcepro.com. And in addition to the replays, you get all of those sessions are recorded. So you have access to them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's PDF summaries and action steps from from the calls when applicable. Then there's multiple playback options, so you can watch the video. And I also convert everything to an MP3, so you can listen to it on the go. And then Artist Connect, which is a way that you can connect with the artists that we have on uh, on the the live Q and A. Then you also get a, a subscriber only Drummers Resource podcast player. So now there's over 150 interviews of the podcast and this player that's designed to really help you navigate through all of those podcasts super easily. That's only for, for members of drummers resource pro and drummers resource pro is $12.99 a month. And you can sign up at drummersresourcepro.com. So this whole operation costs money to run, uh, you know, the podcast, having this software, all of this stuff. And so I need to cover the cost for that sort of stuff. So that's why I urge anyone who gets any value from the site in any way, 
to become a member at drummersresourcepro.com. You'll be part of the family, and that is, you know, it'll be $12.99 forever, and you'll have access to every single live Q&A seminar that we ever do. And I want to just thank all you guys for, for taking the time to check this out and, and thank Jim for being here. And I have one more question for Jim um, from Bill, and we will get into that. It is – so he said, Bill uh, – let's see. Sorry. Let me get this out of your way here. So uh, Bill said, I heard you last summer at Riverbend in Cincinnati, and I thought your kit sounded awesome. What mics did you use or do you? Um, I, yeah, uh, the, the same mics that I actually used when I was recording, uh, like if you look on, on, on YouTube on those videos at home uh, of, of the tunes from my book, uh, which are, um, they're, they're really live microphones. So they're sure, sure. I'm using the, uh, the, uh, beta 98s. Uh, they're the, the, the little small microphones. Uh, we've used the beta 98 amps and we've used what I'm using a lot right now. It's just the, the original beta 98s. Those are fantastic. Um, and the kick drum, we're using two microphones, um, live. Uh, there's the uh, the 91, which is the flat mic, and then there's the the, the Beta 52, which is the, the the mic that's outside the drum. That one's catching more of the low end, and the flat one in the middle in the drum is um, is catching more of the high stuff. And we're using uh, what's that? Uh, the Kelly Shoe. Uh, yeah. They have a flat a flats mount. They they have a flat mount. Uh, that thing's really cool. That's what we're putting the 91 on, and that thing's killer. Uh, yeah, and then it's just, you know, sure, you know, overheads. Uh, it's, you know, the, the 81s. Uh, and, and then uh, on the snare, our our guy loves to use the SM7, which is really just a, a hopped-up 57. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's it's a bigger diaphragm version of it. It's more of a – it's actually more of a broadcast microphone like a vocal broadcast microphone but uh but we use it on snare drum and get and get a great sound and then we just use a a plain old 57 on the bottom nice nice so there is one more question i lied but i I think you you, no problem you actually covered this uh a little bit anthony asked if you could if you could afford manhattan what other gigs would you go after or would you go for other than broadway but i think from what you said your skill set leads toward broadway well, you know, the truth is when I talk to people that are in in uh, New York, there's just it's it's tough. You know, the commercials have, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was a lot of commercials being recorded there. There was a whole industry there that is literally gone away. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, I, I, I think that Manhattan is a great live music area for you know jazz i think you have some of the best jazz players in the world hanging out in that area um and uh yeah i just i just couldn't really see a really fantastic marketability for me there so i tried to go someplace where i thought that my interests and my talents would line up better Mm -hmm. and for me that ended up being Nashville. Although I love Manhattan. I mean, I, you know, I, I love to go visit. It's one of my favorite places to go visit. And I've got friends that, that live and work there. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't going to be the right fit for me. You know, I mean, I, I've got my own drum studio in, in, in a pretty big house in Nashville for less than uh, an apartment would cost a teeny, teeny, tiny apartment would cost in, in Manhattan. Right, right. Yeah, it's so that was a choice. It's definitely yeah. I think you made the right choice, man. <laughs> well, Jim, thank you again for for doing this. Thank you to everyone who attended this. Uh, thanks for all your great questions. And again, if you're interested in signing up at drummersresourcepro.com to get access to all of the live seminars, the archives to the seminars and all of that stuff. And Jim, I just want to tell you, man, I appreciate you. Congratulations on all your success on this book, on the other book, on your your touring work and everything that you're doing with Rascal Flats, man. You truly deserve it. And uh, I just want to acknowledge you for doing all that stuff, man. It's great stuff. 
Well, I appreciate you as well. Uh, I know it's a little bit of a love fest, but uh, I mean, you know, the, the work that you do is definitely uh, work of your passion uh, for for drumming and for music. And, uh, you know, you, you put a lot of work into this. So I, I definitely encourage everybody to uh, take a look at signing up for Pro because uh, you won't believe, I mean, it's, you know, some of the, the archive podcast stuff alone is just uh, it's just really great. And uh, he's right. It takes a lot to uh, it takes a lot to fund that kind of thing. Even just the software you have to have per month and everything, it gets really expensive. So I definitely agree with uh, with Nick. Uh, I think it'd be a great investment for everybody because you get to experience stuff like this any time you want to, which is a, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, for everybody else, uh, thank you very much. And uh, I, I hope to see uh, I hope to see you uh, ordering ordering the book from me, and uh, I, I look forward to sending it out to you. Sweet, I encourage everybody to do the same. And Jim, thanks for the for the kind words. That means a lot coming from you. And for everybody, we'll see you later. Thanks for attending, and uh, you'll be hearing me on the podcast soon. Thanks again, Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, there you have it, the one and only Jim Riley. I apologize. The sound quality was probably not the best because it was recorded. It was really wonky how we, we recorded it, but Justin always does a great job to get things sounding as good as possible. But, uh, you know, it, it might not have been the best sound quality for you. But like I said, we recorded it on a uh, through a meeting software. and all, Anyway, I'm not going to bore you with the details, but that's the deal of why it sounded like that. So anyway, I hope that you got a ton of information out of that. I appreciate you listening. And Jim always has a ton of great insight. So uh, thanks so much for checking that out. And again, if you dig this podcast, please do me a favor. Just rate it and review it. It'll take you about a minute on iTunes. You just go to iTunes, search for Drummer's Resource, click on Write a Review, and then you can rate it one to five stars and then write a short little review. It'll probably take you a minute. So I would appreciate that. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.